Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here today and just giving us this opportunity just to worship you, Lord, and uh, be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words he needs to speak tonight, Lord, and uh, just help us to take something out of this message and uh, take it with us throughout the rest of the week. In Jesus' prayer, amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and grab your seat. If you need a Bible, there's blue ones on the back table back there. We are going to use them tonight, so go grab one of those if you need one. Uh, Mr. Corey's handing them out, making sure everybody's got one back there. Thank you, sir, for doing that. What book are we in right now? Daniel, I was I was hoping that would be a pretty easy one for you guys to remember. We are in the book of Daniel, so we're just going to jump right into it tonight. Does anybody remember who wrote this book? Daniel, oh, good job. All right, so try to make it easy on you. All right, do you remember we talked about this last week? What two languages was this book written in? Close, Aramaic, that's right. Aramaic. Jewish is not a language. We talked about this last week. But what did the Jewish people speak? Hebrew. That's exactly right. So it was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Remember, hey guys, remember, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So it's significant that this was written in, or at least part of it, was written in Aramaic because that's not a language that the Jewish people typically used during that time. That would have been one of the languages that Daniel would have learned or picked up from this Babylonian culture. So that's one of the reasons that the book is credited as him being the author because of the way it was written, because of the language it was written in. Do you remember when we believe it was written? Hey, this, who said that? Good job. Sixth century, okay? I didn't give you exact dates last year, I just or last week. I just said sixth century. So a really, really, really long time ago for us. Okay. And do you remember what is the, what's the central theme or idea of this book? Come on. We talked about it last week. I know you got it in your notes. Sovereignty of God. That's absolutely right. The idea that God is sovereign. If you don't understand what that word means, it basically means God is in control of everything. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's great big things happening in the world or things that are happening right here in your personal life, God is in control. Even when the things that are happening don't make sense. Even when the things that are happening, you look at them and wonder, God, why would you allow that to happen? God is always in control and God always has a plan that he is working in and through the lives of his people. And last week we looked at just verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 1. And do you remember what happened to the Israelite nation in those two verses last week? They got what? They got attacked. Basically, who's, who, was, okay, who was the king of the Israelites? Nope. The Israelites. Hey, read verse 1. Jehoiakim. He's the king of the Israelites. You said that. It was perfect. Jehoiakim's the king of the Israelites. And then you've got the other king. What's his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. So you've got Jehoiakim, king of the Israelites. You've got Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in and does what? He besieges them. He takes over. He brings in his people. He brings in his army. And they basically conquer the Israelite nation. Now, they don't wipe them out, and we're actually going to see tonight what their plan is with this people group, but they come in and they take over. And as we saw last week, this goes back into the whole sovereignty of God thing. Scripture told us last week that God is the one who actually allowed this to happen. In fact, God is the one that used Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon to come in and take over the people of Israel. 
because we went back further in the Old Testament where God made those promises to his people. If you will follow me, if you will obey me, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will take care of you. But if you don't obey me, then you're going you're gonna to have consequences for it. And those consequences are a foreign land, a foreign king is going to come in and he's going to take over and he's going to rule over you and you're going to be moved out of your home and you won't have a home and all of those things. This is the beginning of all of that playing out. This is all of that right here. So that's what we're jumping into as we jump into verse three tonight. And tonight we're going to pick up speed a little bit. We're not doing just two verses. We're going from verses three to eight. I know that's a big amount for us. It is sometimes, but verses three through eight is where we're going tonight. So I ask you to do this every week. We stand because we want to honor God's word as we read it. So follow along with me as I read Daniel chapter one, verses three through eight. Here we go. It says, the, then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them, or among these, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together tonight, God, that we can jump back into this book and into your word and, and see what it has to do with our lives today, God. Not that it's about us, God, because it's about you and it's about your people, but we can learn from what has happened in the past and how you've worked through your people. And God, I pray that you will help us to see that tonight. Help us to know the truths that we can live out because of what you've shown us here. Help us to be different because we've been in your word and in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So we've gone from a complete takeover and now we see what the plan is. We see at least the beginning of the plan for the Jewish people. Let me read those first couple verses for you again. Verse three, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now let's just stop for a second there. Can you imagine what this would be like for these guys? Okay, how many of you um, guys, if you are 14, 15, or 16, stand up? Okay, there's a couple of you. All right. So just for reference, we believe that this is about the age that these guys were when they were taken from their home. Okay, so... 8th, ninth, 10th grade, some of you guys, maybe 11th, depending on where you are. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Y'all give them a hand. Thank you for standing for us. I won't call you models because that's questionable, but imagine that. Imagine that you're that age, ladies, same age, and somebody comes and they just take you. They come in, they take over the place that you live. They take you from everything that you know. Now, some of you who have little brothers and sisters, you kind of wish that would happen some days, but for the rest of you, you're home, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, these people come in without any warning, and they come into your home. 
and they take you someplace that is completely foreign to you. And you don't get to take all of your stuff. So all of the things that make you feel secure, I mean, think about it this way. How many of you carry a phone around in your pocket or your purse or whatever? Do you feel weird when you leave home without this? Yes. I mean, uh, there's been days I've done that. And literally, supposedly, this is like a real thing. You'll actually feel your phone vibrating in your pocket even when it's not there. Have you all experienced that before? It's weird. But we leave home and we think, I'm missing something. I don't have that thing that I'm used to having. These people have been taken from everything that they're used to having. They're taken from their home. They're taken from their stuff. They have no idea if they will ever see their home or their family again. They are taking them to change everything that they know. Everything they've grown up learning, everything they've been taught, their entire lives, they are going to take them and they are going to do their best to wipe it all out. That would be terrifying. It would be so scary not to know what was going to happen. I mean, you think about the plans that you hope for your future, the things that you want to do, the things that you hope happen one day. All of that just got wiped away for these people. They don't have any of that anymore. Everything they thought their lives would be is now gone. Because these Jewish people, they are thrust into a culture that literally stands against everything that they know. And what we're going to find out is that these guys, these specific four guys that we're going to talk about, they're faced with a major choice right here at the beginning of their captivity. They have to decide, are they going to stand firm on what they know to be true and what they've been taught their entire lives? Or are they going to conform to the culture? That's a huge decision that every one of us has to make. We have to decide if we say we're believers, if we say we trust in God's word every single day, we have to make a choice. Are we going to stand on that? Are we going to be resolved to live for this no matter what? Or are we going to conform to the rest of what culture tells us we should be and what we should do? And the funny thing is that conformity starts with little things. It's not like all of a sudden you just decide, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this really big thing that's going to fly in the face of my parents and everything that I've ever been taught. No, what happens is we start with little choices. And little choices that go against God's word turn into other choices, which turn into other choices. And before you know it, you've been entirely consumed by the culture instead of standing with resolve on the word of God. Look at what happened in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 5. It starts with something very small. For Daniel and his buddies, it starts with food. Look at what it says in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So let's just start here. How many of you like to try new foods? Show of hands. Okay. Somebody tell me the weirdest thing you've eaten. Fried crickets. Okay. That's pretty weird. All right. Caleb. You just made Mr. Corey's night. If you don't know what that is, ask Caleb later. Okay, not right now. Yes, Mr. Davis. What's that? Boiled eel. Okay, anybody? can anybody top that one? 
An octopus tentacle, okay. Jared? Pickles and mayonnaise. <laughs> that's, that's pregnant craving right there. We're going to let that one slide. All right, one more. Brock, you had your hand up. Escargot, okay. All right. That's some pretty weird stuff. Okay, none of you named... None of you named some weird things that I found, okay? Let me, let me tell you some actual, some food, some delicacies from around the world. And, and tell me what you think about these. The first one is this. It's called tripe. This is something you can actually find all over the world. And here's what it is. It is the stomach lining of an animal with a sponge-like honeycomb texture. People eat that. Mr. Corey, have you had that? Mm. More power to you, man. There's no way. I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Or how about this one? Ready? I believe this one is pronounced kosh or kash. It's found in the Middle, Ear, Middle East, East Europe, and Turkey. This is stewed cow's feet and head. This, so I guess it's like a soup? Maybe? I don't know. Or how about this one? This one. Oh, you're going to like this one. You're going to like this one. This one's from Mexico. It's called Eskimole. It's also known as insect caviar. It's a dish that is made up of edible larvae and the pupae of ants harvested from the tequila or mescal plant. And it's said to have the consistency of cottage cheese with a buttery, nutty taste. That's nasty, isn't it? Wait, it gets better. Anybody here ever heard of balut from the Philippines? Do you know what that is? Balut is when they take <laughs> they take a duck egg and the duck inside is not developed all the way and they boil it in the shell and then you eat it. That's balut. That's a real thing. Or I got one more. You ready? This one's called Kasu Marzu from Italy. You're going to love this one. This is also known as maggot cheese. Hold on, hold on. It gets better. By the way, you're not allowed to throw up in here, okay? This, this is a dish in sheep's milk cheese famous for containing live insect larvae. The wiggling maggots are prone to jump when they panic. So some people will suffocate them or kill them by putting them in a refrigerator. But some people go for the live version. And here's the best part. Wait for it. Here's the best part. Sometimes, sometimes they survive the stomach and burrow into your intestines. I am not making this stuff up. Cooper's never going to eat again after that. <laughs> so, listen, listen, listen. First of all, I told you about all of those just because they sounded really gross and I thought it was cool. But, but, if you've ever been to a new place, you know there's different foods. There's new stuff. But here's the thing. We don't know exactly what these guys were offered from the table of the king. We don't know what those meals were. But we do know that there was a plan with those meals. These guys are in a brand new country. And they have to eat this new food from the king's table. And on the surface, that may look like that's not a big deal unless it was gross like one of those things we just talked about. That would be a pretty big deal. 
But these young men, they were just supposed to eat the new food or the food from their new king. It says right there, they were to be educated in the ways of this foreign culture. And then at the end of three years, they would stand before the king and they would be examined to see if they were fit to be in his court. Basically, they were being indoctrinated into this new culture. The plan was to take these young men, these guys, and, and this, this was like the best of the best. Remember it said they had to be fit, without blemish, all of these things. It was to take these guys to immerse them in this new culture to the point of erasing their old one. So everything that they knew to be true, everything they had grown up being taught, everything that they had believed, everything they had convictions about, the goal was to get rid of all of that. In fact, they even go so far as to change their names. If you look at their original Hebrew names, those names had meaning. Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. Hananiah's name meant Yahweh is gracious. Mishael's name meant who is what God is. Azariah's name meant Yahweh is helper. So even their names in their culture, their names would remind them and remind other people who knew their culture that spoke to them about who the real God of creation was. All of it had a purpose. And everything the Babylonians are doing to these young men have a purpose too. It's to wipe out their old culture and help them and make them fully embrace where they are now. They go so far as changing those names. For Daniel, they change his name to Belteshazzar, if I can say it right. But here's the thing. That name meant, may Bel protect his life, or it meant protector of the king. Bel was a false god, little g god. He was a false god. So he had a name that talked about the one true God, and they changed it to a name that talked about a false god, an idol. For Hananiah, they changed his name to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. Aku was a moon god. So now his name that talked about the real one true God now talks about this little g false God. Mishael was chained to Meshach, who is like a coup. That's what that name means. Same, false, moon God. And Azariah was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which was another little g false God. See, even, even their names, they're changing them so that their names don't bring to mind who they were before. Because their goal is to completely change who they are. They were to learn Babylonian culture and politics and government and law and all of those things. Because that's what the Babylonians did. They were, I mean, quite frankly, they were genius in doing this. They wouldn't come in and just wipe everybody out. They would come in. They would take the best people in that culture, bring them into their community, educate them, teach them their ways. And then they would send those individuals back into the community they came from as the leaders. So they didn't have to come in and wipe everybody out. They just had to train a group of people and they could effectively take over an entire culture with their ways and their system of how they did things. That's exactly what they're trying to do right here with these guys. And by doing that, what they do is they absorb them into that brand new foreign, new foreign culture and so that they conform to everything that they see. And yet right here, the first way to do that was a little step. Have them eat the king's food. And here's why that was a problem. It seems like such a small thing, but that one little step leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's a way to indoctrinate them into a culture that goes against what God's word said. And I want to let you in on a secret. Every one of you that carries one of these around, 
the same thing that was happening to them is happening to us right now. Because when you get on social media, when you get on YouTube, and when you get on Instagram, and when you get on all of the different things that you do in here, you see things every single time you get onto one of these and you get online, they're contrary to the Word of God. And quite often we don't think about it. And it's just little things. It's like, oh, that's not a big deal. And you swipe and you swipe and you scroll and you swipe and you scroll. But before you know it, you've seen one thing and you've seen two things and three things. And all of a sudden, the little things that weren't little things, those are gone from your memory. And now the things that were bigger things, now those are the little things. And slowly, piece by piece, the things that the culture tells you is absolutely fine that you know is contrary to the truth of God's word, we don't have a problem with anymore. I say that to warn you. I have social media. I've got all the same stuff. Well, not all the same stuff that you guys have. We can talk about that a different day. But you have to be careful because it starts with the little things that you think are not a problem, not a big deal. You turn this on and here's the things you start finding in social media. You start to get jealous. You start to feel greed. You start to feel loneliness because you're not doing what everybody else is doing. You start to feel depressed. You start to believe what this tells you about who you are and who God created you to be instead of believing what this tells you and who you are and who God created you to be. It's cultural indoctrination. I'm not saying don't use a phone. You have to. You don't have a choice these days. But don't be fooled by what it is. Don't let the little things that slip in there moment after moment begin to change your view of what you know to be true and begin to accept a culture that you know is not what honors God. That is exactly what's going on right here in this phone and in this passage. You are in a world every moment of every day that does not want you to remember who you are. It does not want you to hold on to the fact that God created you for a purpose, that God loves you, that God pursues you, that God gave his son for you. Your culture doesn't want you to believe that. It doesn't want you to follow that. It doesn't want you to trust in that. And neither did this culture for these guys. Food may not seem like a big deal. It's just food. We all like food, right? But for them, food was the first step of that process. And Daniel knows it. Because Daniel's paying attention. Look at what happens in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So we may look at that and wonder, why was food a big deal for Daniel? Why, why is that the thing that he said no to? He's been taken. He's gone to this culture. He's taken the new name. He's living in the society. Why is food the hill that he's willing to die on? And, and the reason is because as a Hebrew, if you ate unclean food, according to God's word, you would be defiled before God. Because Daniel knew what scripture said. In Leviticus chapter 11, we're not going to go through it, but in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Leviticus chapter 17, Scripture tells us that in that culture for that time, there were certain foods that were considered clean, certain animals that were approved by God. And if you ate those animals that were not approved, you were unclean before God. Or if you ate the animals that were approved, but they weren't prepared in the specific way that God laid out, you were considered unclean. 
And the only reason Daniel knew that is because Daniel knew the Word of God. He wouldn't have just known that on his own. He knew what God's Word said, and he knew the fact that in this new culture, let me let you learn a little secret, in this culture, the king's food was quite often the first food that was offered to idols. So Daniel had a couple things going against him here. He would be eating food that was unclean before God, and he would be eating food that had been offered to idols, to little g-gods. That's a big deal to Daniel. And that's why he's willing to die on that hill. Because in this culture, Jewish people, especially, excuse me, boys and girls, they were trained at a young age to know that the God of Scripture is the one true God. And that everything else was fake. In fact, for most boys in Jewish culture at this time, by the time you hit age 11, 12, you sixth grade guys right now, some of you just going into seventh grade, they would have memorized the Torah. Who knows what that is? What is it? Say it. What is it? It's not the Old Testament. It's the first five books of the Bible. Okay? Memorized. Knew it without, not like us on Wednesday night where we need the lyrics on the screen. They knew it. Guys, if I open my Bible right now, if I go to the first page of Genesis, it's, it's page number one in my Bible according to this. If I go all the way to uh, the end of Deuteronomy, which is the end of the fifth book, which is the end of the Torah, that's 177 pages in my Bible. I don't know how many is in yours. And they do it by heart. They knew God's word. They knew God's law. And because they knew what it said, they knew ways that they were supposed to live in order to honor God. Anybody in here got the first five verses of Genesis memorized yet? Probably not. I don't. These guys knew the first five books. And they knew it because they knew the word of God and they were able to stand because they knew the word of God. Listen to me. Because they knew the word of God, it says Daniel resolved himself. Daniel made a decision that he was not going to conform. Now, he did it respectfully. It says he went to the chief of the eunuchs and he asked permission. But he was resolved. He was determined because he knew the word of God. Do you know how you know the word of God that well? Take a guess. You read it, but you don't just read it. Because how many times have you read a textbook and go, didn't catch a word of that? Every day, right? You don't just read it, you study it. And you know what that looks like to study for a test. Hopefully, it's not the, I'm cramming this for 30 minutes so I can pass it in the next 10 minutes and then I forget everything as soon as I walk out the door. Study it so it goes from short-term memory to long-term memory. You've got things in your life right now that at some point in time, they were your short-term memory and people had to remind you over and over how to do those things. But at some point, it moved to your long-term memory and now you don't even think about it. You just do it. For most of you, I hope tying your shoes falls in that category. I hope. Some of you may have slip-ons and Velcro. I don't know. Or brushing your teeth. Or combing your hair. Or whatever it is. Things that you learned that someone had to teach you, but because you did it over and over and over and over, now it's just habit. That is exactly what happened with the Word of God here. These guys knew it, and because they knew it, they didn't have to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me get out my scroll and let me go see if I'm allowed to eat your food. 
Daniel already knew it. He knew what God's word said. And because he knew what God's word said, he could make a stand. It says he was resolved because he knew the word of God and he acted on the word of God. When you are resolved to do something in your life, that means nothing is going to move you off that course. And you know what it looks like to not be resolved, don't you? New Year's resolutions in here, anybody, ever? And you get about like three days in and that's gone. You put your hand down. Or you've determined, I'm going to do this from now on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to change this habit. And then it doesn't work. You don't ever do that because you weren't really resolved. Because when you're resolved, nothing is going to change your course. And you need to understand this. When it comes to being resolved about the word of God, hey, when it comes to being resolved about the word of God, that will never happen in your life until you own your faith. You will never have resolved to stand firm on who God has called you to be until you own your own faith. Your faith can't be based off of what your parents have told you to believe. Your faith can't be based off of what your life group leader has taught you. It can't be based off what a preacher stands up and talks to you about. You have to own your faith. You have to take it. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church. It doesn't matter if one day you're going to be the one that inherits the family Bible when everybody else passes away. It doesn't matter. If you don't own your faith, you will never be resolved to stand on the word of God. You have to do that yourself. You have to get into it. You have to study it. And that will not happen if you don't know the word of God. Daniel and his buddies, they were forced to be a part of this new culture, but they refused to conform to it. What about your life tonight? Every single day that you step outside of your house, maybe for some of you it's in your house, where what you say you believe about who God has called and created you to be is contrary to every other message that you're hearing. Are you resolved to stand firm on the word of God? Are you resolved like Daniel and his buddies here that you are not going to do anything? You are not going to compromise. You are not going to give an inch to anyone that calls you to be or do something that God's word says don't be and don't do. When you stand resolved to honor God with your choices, you need to know, guys, you need to know your sphere of influence is incredible. Because when you decide to take a stand, people are watching you because they want to see if you're, if you're really going to do it. They want to see if you mean this. They want to see if you are going to be able to stand firm on the word of God and not back down when everybody else will say, I believe this. And as soon as somebody confronts them, they go, ah, never mind. And you turn around and walk away. When you are resolved to stand firm on the word of God, you are unstoppable and people will notice your resolve. But that resolve doesn't come until you own your own faith. And you don't own your faith until you have a relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. Do you know that he's your savior tonight? Do you know that he gave his life willingly on a cross for you to forgive your sin and, and to forgive my sin? That's what God did. 
When I said that earlier, that, that the world doesn't want you to remember that God loves you and God has a plan for you and God pursues you, that's how he did it right there. He came to you and I in the midst of our sin, something that we cannot fix, something that we cannot resolve on our own, and he said, let me take care of that for you. You simply have to ask my forgiveness and put your faith and trust in me. That's what God says in his word over and over and over. And when you make that choice to ask God to forgive you of your sin through Jesus Christ, that is when you begin to own your faith. That is when it's not based on how you were raised. It's not based on what your parents have told you. It's not even based on what the people around you were doing. It's based on your personal choice to follow Jesus Christ with the rest of your life. And then you get to study his word. And then you get to know what it says and see what he's called you to and see the life that you can live that honors him that is greater than anything else you could ever do in this world. That's where you find resolve. That is how this young man and his friends were able to make a stand against a culture that was attempting to take them and wipe away everything they knew to be true about God. Are you resolved tonight to stand on what you know to be true about who God's called you to be? If you are, that's wonderful. Keep doing it. Because that means you're an influence right now where God has put you. That means in a world that tells you to live in every way that doesn't honor God, you have the opportunity to show people what it looks like to live differently than the culture that you are a part of every moment of every day. But if you're not resolved tonight to stand firm in your faith no matter what happens, if the answer for you is no, it might be time to do something about it. It might be time to actually do what you say you believe. Remember, we've talked about it. What you say you believe has to affect what you do. If it doesn't, there's a good chance you don't necessarily believe it. Only you can answer that question tonight. Are you resolved to stand on who God's called you to be no matter what comes up against you? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it and understand it most of the time. God, we thank you that your word shows us who you are. And God, I pray that you help each one of us tonight to answer that question. God, help us to be resolved to, to not be willing to, to be willing to not back down against anything that's contrary to who you called us to be contrary to what your word says is true. God, I pray for anybody in here tonight who's not. They don't own their faith because they don't have a faith. They don't have a relationship with you, God. I pray right now that you will help them see how much you love them. And God, how you call each one of them, you call each one of us to something that is so much greater to our, than ourselves and it's to a relationship with you. God, give them the courage to to do something about that tonight. Give them that first step in having that resolve to know that you've called them to something and they don't have to back down from anything. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.